Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. What's up, guys? On behalf of Dive Bomb Industries, I want to thank all of you that made our one-day sale exclusive to the listeners of the Foul Front such a great success. Your willingness to spend your hard-earned money and put your confidence in our products means a lot, and we really appreciate it. We know there are many great decoy manufacturers out there, and we are grateful you chose Dive Bomb Industries. Buckle up. This fall is going to be one hell of a ride. Welcome to the Foul Front Outdoors Waterfowl Podcast, where our goal is to recruit and educate new hunters while entertaining the rest of you. Without new hunters and the mentorship of those more seasoned, this passion as we know it faces an uncertain future. So get the word out, turn the volume up, and enjoy the show, because you're on the Foul Front. This week's episode is brought to you by Dive Bomb Industries, the fastest growing, most affordable decoys on the market with unmatched customer service. Visit them online at divebombindustries.com, on Instagram or Facebook at Dive Bomb Industries, or go ahead and give them a call anytime, seven days a week at 314-322-7468. And go ahead and use the promo code FOWLFRONT, all undercase with a space in between foul and front. For 10% off your next purchase of Dive Bomb Decoys. This episode also brought to you in part by Hunt Hickory Creek. And new to Hunt Hickory Creek this year is their Central Kansas Lodge. They're going to be running hunters from the end of October all the way through January. And their main hunting area is located between Kavira National Refuge and Cheyenne Bottoms. Now Central Kansas is a special place for waterfowl hunting. And during the peak migration, these refuges hold hundreds of thousands, if not close to millions of birds at one time. So for your chance of a hunt of a lifetime, head on over to HuntHickoryCreek.com because if you're going to hunt Kansas, 
Hunt Hickory Creek. Hey everyone, Austin here with Colorado Custom Game Calls. Are you looking for a duck or goose call for next season? Are you a budget hunter? Well guys, let us know over here at Colorado Custom Game Calls. We provide high quality calls at affordable prices. We are budget hunter friendly. Whether it be the colors of the resin, the colors of the band, do you want something in your call? It's your call. You get to build it from the ground up. So guys, make sure you go check us out on our Facebook and Instagram and on the web at coloradocustomgamecalls.com. All right, we have a great episode for you today. We got Brad Harris, uh, the co-host of AVNX TV. And I tell you what, not only do we get a good peek behind the curtains on what it goes into filming, but we talk about, um, you know, how to pack out a trailer and kind of what goes on behind the scenes with, um, you know, Fred Zink and the crew over there at AVNX. But also... We get some pretty good tips on uh, how to quickly brush a blind and how to utilize those A-frames that we see all the time. Um, Not to mention just awesome conversation with a a great down-to-earth, conservation-minded hunter um, that has a lot of experience afield. So let's uh, let's hear a little word from uh, a couple of our sponsors, and then we'll get into the episode. Did you know that tagging migratory game birds after you harvest them is a federal law? Did you know it's being enforced in all 50 U.S. states and Canada? Well, ToeTags LLC has just the solution for migratory game bird hunters, a waterproof tagging solution that meets all federal tagging laws. With several options of tags and custom tags available, this is perfect for all hunters. Whether you're an outfitter or a weekender, for just a few cents a day, you can ensure you're in compliance with the law. Contact ToeTags LLC at www.toetagsllc.com. Hey, I want to tell you about a hunt logging system that my friend Elliot from Freelance Duck Hunting has created. It's a site called Freelance Hunt Stats. At Freelance Hunt Stats, you can record information from each day's hunt, which allows you to remember what took place each day, and it also helps you improve your future hunting success. It's easy to use, it tracks game totals, weather patterns, shooting information, bird averages, and a lot more. So go to FreelanceHuntStats.com and create an account to start logging your hunts today. Also, be sure to head over to DocsOutdoorSupplies.com. They've got tons of motion decoys and anything else that you need to be in the outdoors. So, for your 10% off, use FowlFront18 at your checkout at DocsOutdoorSupplies.com. And this week's episode is also brought to you by Goose Ninja Call Lanyards. Lanyards so tough, you could pull your truck with them. All right, today uh, on the podcast, we've got Brad Harris, and uh, Brad Harris is a vice president of a bank, and he is a farmer, and most importantly, while we're having him on the show today, he is the co-host of AVNX TV. Um, Brad, you want to go ahead? Does that does that description uh, fit you well? It, it does fit, uh, fit me fairly well. Uh, banker, farmer, um, trying my hand in a little golf and roping and and most importantly um loved a waterfowl hunt well awesome uh when did you when did you get into hunting you know i was <clears throat> i started hunting with um, quail hunting was really big uh very popular we had a great population of birds when i was younger uh eight nine years old i'd go out with my dad behind his britneys and we would go hunt um my dad was not a big duck hunter at the time but as the quail population is Kind of, I guess as I started to hunt more, the quail population was going down. Thankfully, the turkey population was at, the, at that time also picking up. Um, the duck hunting was getting better here, so we transitioned from being upland bird hunters to uh, 
to turkey hunters and waterfowl hunters. Now I noticed on here, so you've been, you've actually hosted several TV shows in the past. Uh, do you want to kind of talk about how you got into um, outdoor TV and all that? Um, I, I got really lucky. We are fortunate to farm some really good river bottom ground uh, that thankfully has some really nice gravel bars on it. And when everything freezes up, it's phenomenal duck hunting. With that said, I got really lucky getting inter- introduced into the uh, the TV show world. We were at it as actually we we a good friend of mine, Nick Smith, and I. <clears throat> we'd been out shot a uh, lemon and mallards on the river one morning. We were actually just we stopped at the gas station to grab some coffee, and and actually the producers of American Bird Hunter were in there. They had had a pretty rough go of it that morning. They were hunting with a guy named Roy Carter, who uh, traditionally has phenomenal hunting, and. They uh, they had been at it for a couple of days and just and weren't having any luck. We had talked to Roy, told him we were shooting them pretty good. So their next morning, they actually came and hunted with us. We hunted with them for uh, for three days, got a couple of good TV shows for them, and just just by chance stayed in touch with them. And they came out and hunted a couple more times. Once I graduated college, they uh, they asked if I'd be interested in doing uh, some sales for them. Wolf Creek Productions is the name of their production company. Started doing some sales for them and then hosted the uh, the American Bird Hunter show for three years. Nice. After That was in about probably 2010 to 2013, 14 time frame. Okay, awesome. And so then after American Bird Hunter, you went on to... So I, I uh, when I did the American Bird Hunter show, I also helped with a TV show called American Archer with Tom Nelson um, and Outdoor America with a guy named Steve Gruber. I do archery hunts for both of those places, or both those shows. Um, got to kind of travel all over. And awesome. then <clears throat> I've known Fred Zink for... Oh, since I, it's been 20 years I've known him, and he'd seen some of the shows we'd been doing out at my place. We, we've always been in contact, and they were kind of having a rough go out in western Kansas. He called me, come out. He came out um, about 2000, probably 13, the first time they hunted out here, and they've been coming every year since, and, and we've been, been great friends. Awesome, awesome. So – I mean, often I think we see how, like, we think how amazing it would be to get paid to hunt on TV. What are what are we not seeing? It's it's a grind. Um, every you know, getting up and hunting every day is great. Uh, if you get to go with your buddies and and there's no expectations, kind of for the day, you're not you don't have to do something. Uh, but when the hunting's not, uh, it, it's kind of like guiding, I guess. When you know the hunting's not going to be the best but you still got to get up and go. It can really be a daily grind. Um, and just, you know, timing is kind of everything on those hunts. You really need to, uh, planning those hunts is not the best. You kind of just need to go on a whim. And when you can't do that, it, uh, it can be difficult. Right. And so I was thinking, you know, that this was a whole, you know, you had a plan when you, you know, go to produce these shows or plan them out and, you know, you choose, okay, we're going to hit up this farm here. We're going to hit up that farm here. You want to kind of talk about how you you go about setting up these hunts and kind of the whole logistics behind, you know, getting on birds and following weather and, like, how do you know which state you're going to hit when? Um, you know, thankfully Fred's got 
a a long list of contacts all over the uh, the central flyway, um, really every flyway for for that. And so what we do is we kind of have an idea who we're going to hunt with, uh, where we're going to go, whether that's Canada or you know in the U.S. here in the central flyway, <clears throat> and we will stay in contact with everybody. You know, every duck hunter is watching the weather every night. They're on AccuWeather checking the 15-day forecast, hoping a front's coming. And so that's what we do. Just watch the weather. And once you really know that front's starting to uh, to really form, really going to come through, kind of isolate which areas you think may be the best, and, and just keep in contact with everybody. And then once, uh, once it gets to be a day or two out, have the trailer packed and ready and, and ready to leave at a moment's notice. Okay. So you, you kind of do these in, in smaller segments. It's not one big long countrywide <laughs> tour kind of thing that I'm, well, that I was thinking it, it of. can be. Um, so they, they'll be early season. It tends to be smaller trips, um, later season. Um, you know, a lot of times Fred will come out here after Christmas. We start here, um, we spend a lot of New Year's here and then go to either, you know, central Kansas or, or central Oklahoma after that. Um, and that can be, that starts to be where you get a 30 day trip and that's when it can really be a grind. Yeah. Now for, uh, some of my friends that weren't out there, um, and they don't believe me, but we were, we were hunting along the, uh, the, the middle loop river this last season. Um, I think it was around Christmas time. And I swore I saw the uh, AVNX truck uh, and trailer uh, roll past me on our way out. Uh, were you guys in Nebraska this season? Um, the I, I did not get to make that trip, uh, but but Fred and them were out there for for a bit. Yes. All right. See, so for anybody that uh, for anybody any of my buddies out there that said ah we don't believe you Ben I definitely saw you guys. Uh, I saw you guys out there, so you definitely saw the mega cab, big black mega cab, yeah, and trailer for sure, yep. So for sure. Okay, so uh, specifically, what's your role during this planning portion? Um, so my role is I have kind of I guess a separate list of contacts that I I you know I'm keeping in touch with constantly. Um, and the good thing about Fred is, is I've learned a lot from him on on how to do the TV show side of things. Um, <clears throat> the biggest thing is he, the group of guys he he talks with daily. They give him a hundred percent honest reports. These are not guys that just want to be on TV. They uh, they want to give him the, the information he needs to make a decision or or myself. And and you get to go. We get to go to the best place. Um, well, we think the best options, you know, the best possibilities, I guess, for, for filming a show. Um, it, that's, that's the, uh, that's the end goal is, you know, good TV, but having those good, good resources is, is invaluable. Okay. Awesome. Devin, I know you wanted to jump in here for a second. Yeah. So, uh, I think probably some of the listeners are curious, are all your guys' hunts um, pretty much like guided, or do you guys do some freelance, um, or how does um, that all work out? So we we hunt with some outfitters. Um, so the one thing that we do, uh, <clears throat> we we a lot of times we you know we'll we'll be with an outfitter or be in the same area outfitter. 
they don't always guide us. Um, you know, so we go up with Grant Kuypers up in, in Saskatchewan and we won't, uh, we don't take up any guides. Um, you know, if there's guides free, free to go with us, they go with us, but, uh, we, we roll with our own crew. Um, but they, they definitely do provide a lot of access, uh, to land and that sort of thing. Um, Oklahoma definitely hunt with a guide a lot down in Oklahoma, just for the fact that a lot of ground is leased up. Um, whether it's, it's year long leases or people are day leasing fields, um, that can definitely be tough and, and a little frustrating if you're trying to freelance, but it, uh, so it just, it really depends on the area. Um, I guess kind of going back to the previous question, uh, my role, um, with the group is to just kind of help organize some of that, um, you know, if Fred's got to go to the shot show or something, host some of the shows, um, and just kind of help out where it's needed. Awesome. Awesome. So what is the, what's the team look like? You know, I think we're all pretty familiar and I really enjoyed, I can't remember which episode it was, but it was when everyone was talking about waking up and I think you were, I can't remember what it was, but, uh, the cameraman was, he was in on, like you got to see the cameraman for a little bit and, uh, I was just kind of curious, you know, what's the what's the whole team look like? So, I mean, you, obviously you have Fred Lee, the kind of the, the man in charge. Um, Brian Plows is the uh, kind of the head camera guy, producer. Um, kind of depending on the area, there's there's a handful of different freelance guys that will work. Um, also, and it, it, like I said, it all depends on the area, kind of who who chips in and when. Um, sometimes there's there'll be somebody that comes from the shop down just there's so many different uh, moving parts to that but brian piles typically does all the uh, all the production um when we're done hunting and going in you know everybody's back in the office but there'll be anywhere from a minimum of two up to three camera guys per hunt um and it kind of depends on the group of guys that that we're hunting with that day maybe they have some clients booked and we have you know get a hunt with them or, or we get to have more of our buddies out on the hunt. That uh, those factors definitely change every day that we we go out. But you have Fred and three camera guys uh, on average is kind of the, the core group. Okay, cool. And how does uh, what's the dynamic in the in the blind like? Are, are the the you know you, you talked about uh, was it Brian? You said uh, is he? Yeah, Brian Plows. <laughs> is he calling a, a lot of shots with you guys? Um, you know. <laughs> he uh so the the best thing about um filming with those guys is that everybody's a, definitely a professional um they're they're at the top of their game and and those camera guys uh, they get all they need you there's no reenactments um in on in, basically on any of the shows will you see a reenactment um maybe a dog thing here or there but it's it's everything is filmed as it happens um, and you also, the camera guys won't call the shots, um, either Fred or I typically, if I'm there, um, I'll call some, some of the shots. Fred typically handles that. He, he has such an eye for, for knowing what the camera's getting, um, and when to call the shot. That's it. It's something you really, you don't just jump in, uh, in the blind the first time you're doing a TV show and have that, uh know exactly when to call that shot it's it's uh definitely something you got to learn and and it's it's taken me a couple of years to always kind of really you know fine-tune exactly when you want to call that shot to make sure you get plenty of the birds working the decoys 
uh, and backpedaling over the decoys because you need them to hover for, for two to three, four seconds, um, which, you, you know, after one second, you're wanting to kill them. So <laughs> yeah. it, uh, it's definitely a little different, but uh, once you kind of learn the, the nuances of it, it uh, it's not too bad. Yeah, so how does that bleed over into your personal hunting life? Um, you know, you're hunting on camera, you're hunting off camera. Um, is there anything that bleeds over or is there any, you know, is there a relief for you and there, there aren't cameras there? Um, you know, it's, not, it's really not that bad hunting in, in front of the cameras all the time. Um, the, the only time it kind of makes a difference is when you know that, um, you know pretty quick whether it's going to be a TV day or not. Um, so when you don't have the cameras around and you, and it's, it's not a TV day, so maybe those ducks aren't quite finishing exactly how you want, or, or maybe only two or three or four or five out of the the 30 or 40 that are working are finishing. So you go ahead and shoot those instead of waiting for the big group. Um, there's definitely some, some things there that, uh, is a little different, but the, uh, I guess the most frustrating part is when you're trying to film a TV show and the birds aren't wanting to be on TV that day. (laughs) Yeah, I'm. I can. I can imagine. Not um, everybody wants to be a TV star, or not all the ducks, I guess. Yeah. So they they definitely don't want to be TV stars. So. No, if they're a TV star, it uh, typically doesn't end well. Right. Right. Um, what about? Um, okay, so some of the B roll. I know you said that they kind of just uh, they're professionals and they just they go in there and they can capture pretty much everything as is. Um, when it comes to shooting intros and things like that, how does that how does that play into the whole uh, season? So, all the typically a lot of the intros are filmed. Um, you kind of have your you have your hunt that you have filmed, and and as you're going into the hunt, you kind of anticipate things. So you you take a break from maybe setting the decoys for a second, and you do a thirty second to a minute intro of kind of what's going on, what you're doing, what you're uh, setting up for, what you think the birds will do. You then kind of throughout the hunt, you'll you'll do little updates. After the hunt, you kind of wrap it up, um, and then typically at some point early in the spring, uh, can go go to the uh, the call shop, um, and Fred will do the actual intros to the hunt. He'll he'll talk a little bit more about um, where we're at, what what exactly we're doing, maybe some weather patterns, uh, what we've been experiencing. Maybe hit hit on a few more things. Um, that's kind of how we, we handle all that. Most of that is done uh, in the field, and, and you'll notice on the on the new shows this year, all the intros are different. So they, uh, there's not one just stock intro for, for all the shows, um, which I think is kind of a cool thing to do. So do you guys try to capture some of those moments that are, you know, the dull moments or the not-so-good moments uh, as far as, to kind of add in a little realism for the audience and kind of keep it real? Um, we'll definitely do, uh, especially when we're in the truck, uh, we'll talk about, um, you know, maybe it's been cloudy and calm for, for a couple of days. So we'll kind of explain what we're doing um, and, and maybe, you know, that we ha- haven't been able to hunt for a couple of days and, or the birds just aren't working. Uh, typically, we don't add a lot of that into the show uh, as far as showing the, the hunts themselves, but we uh, we definitely do talk about them. I kind of want to get into the traveling portion of it the the long haul the longer haul ones that you guys do. Um, you kind of want to give us a like how does that go out? You know, everybody kind of 
you guys caravan? Uh, do you link up at certain, you know, you just link up at the lodge together or, uh, or the hotel? Um, there's definitely a caravan. Um, a lot of times, um, I'm the first stop on that trip. So they'll, uh, everybody shows up to my house. Um, I built a, a hunting lodge here four or five years ago. Um, it's really nice. We can, we can pull the truck and trailer inside. It's, it's heated. Everybody can, awesome. can come in. We can get kind of organized. Um, if there's new faces in the group for the, uh, for that trip, we can go through that. Um, we typically will hang here for three to seven days. Um, and then from that point on, there, there'll probably just be, uh, two vehicles going out after that. Um, one of camera guys and one of hunters. Um, and typically we try to stay places where, uh, where we don't have to stay in hotels, but that's not always the, uh, the case. So we'll, uh, we'll crash kind of wherever need be. Awesome. Um, so what's the, what's the wake up look like? Uh, in the morning, who's the, who's coordinating all the wake ups? Who's, uh, it, uh, the wake ups on after about day 15, the wake ups can be a little rough. Um, yeah. it, uh, you know, thankfully those guys, um, the, the camera guys are so good. You, you, we don't have to be out there two hours early to set up cameras and go through that process. Um, really can we try and get, we want to be fully set up, um, really 30 minutes in the morning, 30 minutes before we're ready to shoot. Uh, you know, if it's a, maybe an afternoon hunt, we try and maybe get set up an hour before, um, just so you can maybe do some a little extra on the interviews, uh, do some, maybe do some dog work, that sort of thing. Um, but the, yeah, the, the wake up can be, uh, everybody's, everybody's a little different on how they get up and, and I, I'm get up. I get up, and in five minutes, I'm out the door. As long as I got got a little coffee, some people yeah. need to be up an hour early. You know, that's me. I got to be up and and checking everything and get my get my whole cup and a half of coffee in. And so, yeah, it's uh, everybody's a little different. So it uh, you'll definitely about an hour before we're, we're leaving, you'll you'll start to see some lights turn on and, and people moving around. Yeah, Brad. So since we're talking about traveling, can you give me uh, your favorite place you've hunted as far as, you know, the hunting experience and then as far as like landscape and and nature? You know, I really, really like to hunt um, northwest Saskatchewan, just the rolling hills. And and it's it's the beginning of the fall migration. Um, their harvest is going on at the same time, or, or maybe you're kind of at the tail end of harvest. There's, there's just a lot going on. And, and for me, it's that first sign of fall and, and knowing what, you know, what to expect when we get home. Um, but that first trip to Canada of the year is always, uh, to me, it's just a blast. And, and that's, it, uh, it's probably besides my home area, it's my favorite place to hunt. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. You got me excited now. So <laughs> it's there. Uh, no, nothing says, you know, duck season and like like going up to Saskatchewan the first week of October. But it, even with that said, um, you know, central north central Oklahoma late season. Um, the one drawback to Canada, I guess, is you're not always shooting green heads; you're shooting brown ducks. But yeah. go to uh, late season central north central Oklahoma is, is phenomenal hunting as well, and. Um, a little more what I'm used to in Southeast Kansas. Right, right. 
Uh, so what what's some of the what's the best part about your job as a, a hunting TV show host? You know, the people we go with. Um, it, it's it's awesome to meet new people. Um, typically, we we get to hunt the best places. Um, that's I mean, when you when you have you combine good people and great duck hunting, I mean it's it just doesn't get any better than that. Um, it, just to just to get all those experiences that without doing the TV show, I would I would never be fortunate enough to do. Yeah, uh, what's what's the worst part of, of your job as a hunting TV show host? There uh, there's been some some stretches where you know you're out for for a week and. And really, there's, you know, it, it's cloudy. You know, the wind's not blowing. Um, you'll notice on on almost every, besides maybe on some goose hunts, um, all the duck hunts are filmed in sunshine. So sunshine and wind. And when you don't have that, and you're uh, just kind of at the lodge twiddling your thumbs after you've been scouting, and there's not a whole lot to do. That uh, that can start to wear on a guy after four or five days. What's uh, you want to tell us a little bit about this last season? Um, maybe a little bit, you know, what, what were some funny, interesting highlights, um, some behind the scenes stuff uh, that maybe we, we won't get to see? You know, we uh, so the, the one thing we didn't do this year, we, we didn't go to Canada. Um, so we came what the like, like the last several years, the first trip of the year was uh, here at my place. Um, I didn't get to go on. Uh, on the the longer road trip of uh, you know late December through January, um, had to stay home and get uh, get some more work done. But we had it, we had the darnest time here. Um, I called Fred, told him you know we're absolutely covered up in birds. Um, I've called him and told him that I don't know how many times he's come down and we've just absolutely had phenomenal hunts. He shows up. Shows up the night, you know, uh, the night before the hunt. We go out and hunt for three days, and it's terrible. Um, the The conditions are perfect, but for some reason, the ducks just absolutely will not do anything that we need them to do. Um, they leave. They go to Oklahoma. They, I call him and say, "Hey, we, we're, you know, things have changed a little bit. We're we're covered up again. Get back here." Same thing happens again for three or four days. Um, it, it was just uh, it, it just didn't work out. So they leave. They go back to Oklahoma and they hunted a little uh, some of central Kansas. Why he's gone? We're absolutely slaughtering the ducks every day. We're shooting limits. Um, I call him, told him, you know, I have a couple spots lined up that look like great TV show spots. They come back, same thing happens again. So it uh, that was probably the worst part thing about this season was. Uh, every time I thought I had a great deal lined up, um, you know, it just, it would fall completely apart as soon as he would leave the hunting picked up and, and it was phenomenal. Um, and that happens more often than not when you, when you're traveling, they, uh, you know, your, your, your buddies are out scouting, they're finding birds, you show up and just. Whatever it is that happens, um, something about the camera showing up in the in in the area, the birds just disappear. They they completely stop their patterns, or it's always something a little off that just seems to happen, and and uh, you kind of got to regroup. So you you mentioned something there that was pretty interesting to me, um, and that was that you said, "Hey, I got some good TV spots," and uh, you know, a lot of times 
so when I'm scouting, I don't, I'm not thinking about how visually appealing is this, um, this little cattle pond that I'm about to, you know, there's tons of birds loaded up on it. How much does that play into your scouting? Um, it plays in, um, so I, yeah, I've grown up hunting in this area, uh, for the last, you know, I've duck hunting in this area 20 years, um, and know it, um, I mean, know it as well as I feel like probably anybody, maybe probably don't, but normally when I find a spot, um, I guess I just kind of have a mental checklist of, of things I go through to, uh, you know, the hide, where can, where can we put camera guys? What's, what's the wind direction going to be? What's the sun, you know, where's how the sun's going to play into all that. Um, and, and just kind of looking at it from, from doing the TV shows for so many years, knowing what, how we're probably going to, to hunt this pond, how it's going to set up for filming. Um, and what, it's just something, um, you know, you start, you, you scout, you know, you find a great spot to hunt. Um, but it takes, uh, it takes a really, really good duck hunt to make an average TV show. Um, and I think that's probably what a lot of people maybe don't understand when they're watching, um, it, you know, the AVNX TV show is, is if you were on that hunt, they, um, you, it's, they're phenomenal duck hunts. Um, it, like I said, it takes a really, really good duck hunt to make an average TV show. Right. So there's just, there's just little things, I guess I look for, um, to try and figure out if it's a good place to film or not. Okay. So back onto the travel thing a little bit. And I know, um, well, at least from the way it's uh, shown on TV, uh, it looks like Fred packs the uh, the trailer and then they, they head on out. Um, you want to talk a little bit about what goes into a good pack out on, on these trailers? And, you know, what oh are my. some of the lessons you've learned? There's a, there's a reason they have a 24-foot, 8-foot uh, wide Vino's trailer. Um, the front, the front probably quarter of the trailer is uh, is just access is, is just for camera guys um, to keep their gear organized away from all the hunting equipment so it doesn't you know it doesn't get damaged um, but it's uh, it's not a, it's not a let's load the trailer up and be gone in an hour process um, there's so much equipment um, specifically camera equipment to load um, that you know it's going from the trailer into the shop. And then, you know, it needs to go back out, but it needs to be organized. It needs to be labeled so that uh, at 3.30 in the morning, it's easy to find. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lengthy process. Thankfully, um, I've only had to do that once or twice. Um, I've helped reload the trailer numerous times after, uh, after we've got it out here. Um, I, I'm definitely fortunate that normally I get to, if it's too far, I get to jump on an airplane and fly there and everything's just magically loaded in the trailer and, and, and ready got to go. I a couple buddies that do something similar like that. So <laughs> yeah, it's uh don't, they don't have to travel with a gun, no shells, no nothing. Just show up. Nice. It's uh that's not typically my style, but uh, when, especially when we go to Canada, that's uh, that's how I, so who's that. the, who's the trailer boss? Uh, definitely Fred, um, Fred's got the back and, and Brian's got, uh, the front of the trailer. Um, they're, they're both the, uh, the king of their domains in there. Everything's organized 
very specifically. And now, is there a, a big wipe your shoes, kind of no mud in the trailer uh, type of policy going on? I know that one of my buddies, that's kind of um, his trailer rolls. Oh, no. It, uh, the back is kind of just uh, get it okay. loaded. It needs to be organized, but get it loaded. The camera guys are definitely a little more Oh, paid. sure. They're, they're concerned about dust oh, all yeah. the time. Makes absolute, absolute sense. So. Oh, it does. It does. After after being around the camera equipment and, and seeing all the just the little details of things you have to do, I, I completely understand why uh, why they're, 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 they are the way they are. I was, you know, I was, uh, this just comes very different, uh, of filming style. You know, I've got the GoPro and the iPhone that I set up behind us so that we can capture, um, some of our, <laughs> some of our hunts. And I'm always like, Hey, move to the left over here. You know, we got to move the blinds over here. Cause this is the, you know, all that stuff. And I was, I always, you know, wondered how much, um, the camera guys actually, you know, get to interject if there is any. I know you said they just kind of they show up and they they are very good at capturing all that stuff. Is there any instances where it's been like, oh, gotta gotta do what Brian says or anything like that? Oh no, a- absolutely. They um, they have a, a a lot of say on how that stuff is done. Um, we've all hunted together so long that um, generally we're we're pretty pretty spot on the first time we do it. Um, but you never know exactly. Maybe the ducks are doing something a little bit different. Maybe they're 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 circling in from a different direction than you expected, um, and they're just not quite able to capture exactly what they're looking for. So you need to move blinds, or or maybe they need to move their position a little bit. Um, but no, they have they have a lot of say in, in how to get in how to get uh, I guess the blinds set up exactly where they want it to get that best shot, and then where they need to be set up. Uh, you know, the guy outside of the blind. We actually have some mini A-frames um, just for camera guys that we set up uh, elsewhere so they can film from those and be out of the elements also. So kind of on that same element of that, how how do you guys – do you guys ever have trouble with you know, the camera guys getting in the way or flaring birds or anything or you know try to hide – I assume you guys use boom mics. I'm not sure how that whole process works, but trying to hide some of the equipment from, from those birds, especially if you guys are hunting, you know, circling uh, lessers and stuff like that i can see how that can get kind of difficult uh i mean lens flash is definitely the uh i mean the biggest uh, that can flare birds faster than probably anything um all of our all the camera guys are, are really good at hiding uh whether they're wearing ghillie suits they're the little uh little mini a-frames that fred designed um have worked out just great for uh for filming they can film out the end of them they're completely camouflaged there's just the, the small lens sticking out um but with that even in being in those lens flash can absolutely uh flare a flock of anything as fast as as fast as you know somebody's face sticking out of a blind so the uh what we'll try and do is if we feel like it's it is lens flash you know from the lens you know coming across the sun we'll uh, we'll try and kind of get an idea of exactly where that angle is and make sure that the camera guys maybe don't film past that angle if at all possible um or we you know we'll move their blind if need be um but it uh typically it's something else than the camera guys um that you know if if maybe the birds are flaring but it uh if it's the camera guys it's it's almost always lens flash 
Gotcha. And you mentioned lens flash for the for the listeners. Can you kind of explain, you know, what that is? You know, for those who may not know exactly what um, you're talking about. So you know, as, as the camera guys are following the birds around, uh, as they're circling, and when that lens hits the uh, hits the sun just right, it is um, it, it's it's like a strobe light going off, and and it is very bright, and the birds will flare almost every time. Nice. So, gotcha. Um. What's uh, what's the funniest thing that's ever happened while you guys were out filming? Um, we've had, uh, I think that probably the, the the funniest or the best argument we've ever had. Um, a few years ago, we were hunting next to a little lake, um, and, and it was a blizzard. The birds uh, were flying in all day. We got set up. Uh, we actually had to push some birds out of the field. Uh, the snow came in a lot sooner than we expected. And, and we actually shot a really nice mallard pintail hybrid. Absolutely no idea who shot this bird and the argument that ensued to see who was going to get it. Um, I, I wish they would have filmed it. It was probably really entertaining um, after the fact. But I will say that it's mounted in my shop. <laughs> awesome. So it sounds like you won. Um. I, I uh I, I won by default because uh, I, I guess the, everybody was at my place, so I, I won the argument. But it um, th- that uh, that was probably one of the, the most priceless things that have happened. So I wonder about this. Too. Uh, it, it, um, I know that whenever we like film with GoPros or anything like that, everybody sticks around um, at the house to like, hey, pull up quickly, pull them up, you know, pull up the the videos. Do you guys get to do any of that after the hunt, or is it kind of like? Yeah, that all gets sorted out in you know professional post production. Uh, so the guys will come back in. They'll uh, they've got, uh, and I don't know all the terminology, um, but they have large um, storage devices that they'll put all the uh, all the video on. Um, and as it's uploading, you do uh, you do get to watch it. It'll come in all the different clips. Um, you know, if maybe something kind of unique ha- happened during the hunt. Um, you get to look for it uh, and maybe get to watch that. But we don't watch just a ton of it. Um, I remember back in the day when everything was done on tapes um, and you absolutely watched nothing back unless it was like a uh, maybe a mishit on a deer uh, just for fear of uh, the tape being ruined um, or taping over a tape, which has happened uh, a lot. So that's the best thing about digital storage. If you uh, you don't tape over anything, it's hard to ruin those files. However, it, it, that can happen, but it's typically not done because you're watching them. Um, but if it's a if it's a real slam dunk of a hunt, you bet we're back at the shop watching. <laughs> awesome. So, Brad, do you have, do you have a favorite bird that you like to shoot or favorite species? Uh, um, you know, for me, uh, shooting mallards. Um, shooting greenheads in my in my local areas is still my favorite place to hunt. Um, really fortunate, like I said, you know, I talked about having that river bottom access um, earlier in the show, and I mean that some of my very first duck hunts happened down the river late season. It was really cold. Um, you know, my dad would take us out there and, and carry us across the river and set us up, and, and we'd shoot ducks till we couldn't feel our fingers, and we'd go home. But it um, that was some of my fondest memories are down there, and, and almost all the hunting we do here locally, it's, it's almost all mallards. 
um, you'll get some farm ponds that have uh, have some gad walls or maybe some teal on them. But for uh, for the most part, I'd say ninety eight percent of the ducks we shoot are all mallards. So okay. go ahead. That, and that that's even with shooting all mallards, it's still it's still my favorite duck. Yeah, yeah, I haven't really had a lot of experience with mallards being over here in North Carolina. We got a lot of wood ducks, but not too many mallards. So, you know, I haven't really had my experience like that yet, but I've heard I've heard great things. So I'm excited oh, yeah. to come. Yeah, come I've I've been to uh, to North Carolina up by uh, Murfreesboro to to chase black ducks a couple times. Oh yeah, oh yeah, so, plenty of those, but no no mallards. Close, but no, you know, no yep. cigar there. Yep. Oh, uh, for sure. What is uh what is your dream hunt? Except guess for like the whole crew or or you specifically to go on. Um, you know, I'd really like to go to the uh, the West Coast, shoot uh, harlequins and brants. Um, that's kind of a hunt that uh, I'm looking forward to putting it together in the next couple of years. Um, you know, the vast majority of decoy sales are mallards uh, and puddle ducks, I guess, in general. So that's what we focus on. But um, I, I've never been to the West Coast. I've been to the East Coast, um, been all over Canada. Um, all over the Midwest, but I have not been to the West Coast, and that's definitely something on the bucket list for that I uh, want to happen sooner than later. A lot yeah, of times definitely. for me, um, the weather can really make or break a hunt for me, or, or really set the you know that hunt apart. And I, I'm kind of a guy like the the worse the weather, um, the better. I, I enjoy it, and I think some of my favorite hunts of your guys's that I've watched are the ones where. It's overcast and there's a there's some thick or light snow coming, you know, and you can just see the birds kind of popping out of the out of the snow. I, that's that's my favorite kind of hunt. What's your favorite kind of weather? Um, mallards in the sunshine over uh, small bodies of water. Um, that that's definitely my favorite. I've actually um, I've been kind of working on. I've started developing my own properties um, just for that. Uh, just they're, they're little three to five acre flooded cornfields kind of out in the middle of nowhere. Um, you know, three to five acres really isn't that big. Uh, a three acre, a three acre flooded cornfield, you can pretty much shoot the whole thing from one spot. Right. And once, uh, now that I've got uh, a couple of those established, we'll be able to, uh, you know, a nice high pressure 10 mile an hour, uh, sunny day is, that uh it just doesn't get any better than that for me or i want it to be a, a blizzard awesome yeah i i just love those episodes where um you guys are you know in the a-frame or in one of the hard blinds and and the snow is coming in and everyone's you know really straining to kind of see the birds and it just calling like crazy that's that, that gets it going for me oh it's you know, we we haven't had a lot of snow, uh, really. This kind of the sa- southern, uh, you know, southern Kansas, Oklahoma hasn't had a lot of snow in the last few years, um, so we haven't had a lot of opportunity for those types of hunts. But in previous years where we did get those snows, that uh, there's just there's that's a lot of fun to shoot. You know, you get a nice kind of. Oh, I say nice. It's really a nasty cold front coming in, and, and it's snowing and. And those birds are really out feeding heavy. Uh, those are, I mean, those those are the hunts that you remember for a lifetime. Yeah. Um, on average, how many how many days of the season do you say you go out? Uh, I would say, yeah, I mean, I 
I wouldn't hunt any less than five days a week. Um, you know, that's, and I guess that's our local season, um, you know, Southeast Kansas season, um, you know, try and go to Canada once a year. Um, maybe, you know, spring snows, uh, for sure. That's, uh, so it kind of just depends, but, um, I'd say at least five days a week. Okay. And, you know, typically when someone's spending five days, um, a week out hunting, they, uh, they pick up a few things that us weekend guys don't necessarily get to. Um, what, what would you say is the, besides scouting is the number one thing that you could advice that you could give a hunter in his first or second season that's just starting to get his legs under him and, and figure things out. You know, you know, besides scouting, scouting is, is no doubt the most important, um, but concealment. Uh, I see a lot of people where they, they probably, they get a little lazy. Um, the best thing that I bought myself was a gas powered hedge trimmer. Hmm. Um, I remember the days of uh, putting on gloves and, and pulling grass, um, I mean, and you, you would pull grass for an hour and it was, and you'd, you'd sit there and look at your blind and think, I need to go pull grass for another hour and, and do this again. Um, I bought, I bought a little steel gas powered hedge trimmer and in 10 minutes you can have enough grass to cover five blinds, um, and and still have something, you know, still have grass left over to keep, you know, adding, adding somewhere. Um, so concealment, I, I do think is, is probably number two um you know if you're for me hunting small bodies of water uh if you don't have a lot of decoys even if you know if you just have a dozen or i I hunted multiple days uh last year with just a dozen decoys and had three of them on a jerk cord and had great hunts um so if you can have a i don't i rarely use a spinner um unless i just absolutely feel it it might be necessary but uh concealment you know, some sort of motion. I really like jerk cords, huge fan of them. Um, there's a reason that they've been used for, for so long and, and they're, cause they're, they're that, effect, that effective. You kind of just made my, I'm shaking my head right now because as I, as I, you know, hunt just a couple days a week, it's no, it's not a real big deal for me to go out and, and pull grass, um, you know, to throw on the blind. And, you know, normally I don't end up doing that. Normally I'm bringing new people out and I always kind of give them, uh, that's one of, you know, their tasks. And I'm just kicking myself right now because I have one of those in my garage. And why? I've never thought of using it. Okay. (laughs) That will be making the trip. Uh, It will... um... I mean, so maybe it's not going to occupy those, uh, the newbies quite as long as maybe you're hoping it was, but it is uh, hands down uh, one of the most useful tools a waterfowl hunter can have in this trailer. If that's the one tool besides just your normal waterfowl hunting equipment, that is the, uh, that is the number one item in the trailer. <laughs> oh, um, man. It, it makes life so easy. Yeah, I'm just sitting here kind of shaking my head thinking, how, you know, how have I never, how have I not thought of that? I'm a man of many yard tools as well. So, yep, it's I'm telling you, it's they're they're effective, and when well, you you can just have so much grass, you can really break out. Um, 
you know, like on your A-frames, if you're not in grass that's maybe, you know, say a foot or taller, you can really um, start to kind of feather the edge at the bottom of the blinds because you have, I mean, you can get so much grass so fast. You can start to feather all your edges, your sharp edges out. Um, and those are little details that I think uh, maybe the newbies kind of miss. Um, and, and it's just they haven't learned it yet or they haven't had somebody teach them. Um but there's just, you know, especially late season, you really, you've got to break up your hard lines and, and just kind of help blend blend all those things together. For the naysayers, I guess, tricks and tips um, for using like A-frames and, and stuff. I've never really used them, so I'm not really sure. Um, you know, I've never, I don't have any uh, say in it, so. So we, um <clears throat> When Fred first bought, brought the A-frames down here to hunt, we, um, you know, we had hooked two of them together and hunt. And then he came back the next year and he said, man, we found out literally the more of these we tie together that are properly covered, the the more it's like the, the birds just have that much more confidence finishing into them. It, it all of a sudden becomes, you know, just from a blind to literally you're making your own little grass row and and so i've used um we've hunted some cattle ponds that um i mean the the grass was literally two inches around it uh tall and and hooked three or four of them together and the ducks finish into them like it's they they have they don't even care so there there was hardly any cover and and the more literally the more of them you, you put together that are properly concealed properly concealed um it just gives the birds more confidence to finish into them um with that being said um if you have one blind and, and you feather edges and, and do things i mean it's i i haven't laid in a, in a ground blind in probably five six years oh man um i they're my back really appreciates that. So what technique do you guys use for feathering in uh, a ground blind? Or, or not a ground blind, I'm sorry, uh, one A-frame. A-frame. Um, so there's there's a couple of different types of grass. There's a, it's called a prairie, prairie reed grass that uh, we found that kind of works the best. It's really durable. But um, really, it's what I, and, it, and the, the best thing about the prairie reed grass is, is its color is very kind of a neutral tan. It blends in a, with about anything. But um, putting a good base of grass on your blind, and then once you get to wherever you're going, take your hedge trimmer, go cut a bunch of, of grass that is, you know, obviously right there, um, not exactly where you're hunting, just a little ways away, and bring that in and finish out your blinds. And, and doing that every hunt is, I think, is very important. Whether it's, um, you know, for instance, we were goose hunting up by Manhattan last year, and and around this field had a bunch of, uh, um, I, they're they're big weeds, but they were five, six, seven foot tall, and we had none of them on our blinds. But uh, in the blinds, kind of stuck out. As soon as we grabbed those sticks and just kind of added the local vegetation into them they absolutely disappeared and we had a phenomenal honker hunt um that day but it's so a good base of grass once you get set up add some some local vegetation um if you like i said if if you feel like maybe the grass is too short you know maybe put some on some grass on the uh on the ground on the front and back and maybe on the each side each end of the blinds um just to kind of get rid of that sharp edge um 
is by far, I, I believe the best way to do it. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So going back to the A frames again, I've I've heard a lot of people, and like I said, I've not I don't have much experience with them, but I've heard a lot of people say that you can't use them over and over again. You just it it you know birds will stop coming in, and you know they won't even give you a second look. Uh, how would you I guess uh, how would you you know kind of defer the naysayers with your experience? I know you guys hunt all the time and use them all the time, so you know obviously. You know, we uh we had a, a particular field last year. We hunted for off and on for two weeks straight, uh, and we were not the only people hunting that field. Everybody was hunting it with a frames, and we killed ducks out of that. And it was just a it was a corn stubble field, so the stubble was maybe a foot and a half tall at best. Um, but we hunted essentially that field was hunted nearly every day for two weeks out of a frames, and birds were consistently shot every day. Um, I've used A-frames from hedgerows to, you know, the cattle pond I told you about. I mean, it was completely grubbed down. Hardly any grass is more dirt than grass. Um, I've put them in more in places I never thought it would work, and they just consistently produce. Um, and you know, this is into late season. It's not just early season that this is happening. This is you know all the way through the end of January. Um, the biggest thing is just brushing them in. And getting them brushed in, and, and and I see a lot of people early season their blinds look great. Um, by middle mid season they start to look a little shaggy. By the end of season they really look shaggy. Um, instead of maybe you know taking that evening and going and cutting some more grass and, and you know sprucing their blinds up a little bit, um, they're off doing something else. But um, that's you know if you keep your blinds freshened up, you'll be there's there's hardly any situation you can't use them in. Now, question. I think it was like a steam pond you guys were hunting out in western Nebraska. Or I, I can't remember. Or Colorado. Colorado. Um, I think Fred talked about how all they, all you guys had to do, you ended up adjusting the A-frame, uh, canting it off a little bit so that the it didn't cast as much of a shadow. Correct. So I, uh, I uh, unfortunately wasn't on that hunt, but it's something that we definitely do. Um you know, if the birds are typically going, you're going to set up where the birds typically will work out in front of you, not to where they're going to work behind you. On, um, You know, that's not always, but that's best-case scenario. Right. Um, the one drawback to the A-frame is it will cast more of a shadow than, than a, a ground blind, of course. Um, but with that, there's things you can do to maybe um, the angles of the blinds that they, so that the sun is uh, – there's no shadow in front of the blind. Um, late in the evening or early, early in the morning, there could be a pretty good shadow. So if you adjust the angles of the blind uh, to where there's never that that shadow, uh, you know, there's always going to be a point that you, you can't adjust anymore. But for the most part, you can always adjust that blind to where that, you know, the sun's going to be on front of them and there's no shadow. Um, you know, what we found is there can be shadows on the ends, there can be shadows behind you. But if you can eliminate the shadow in front of you, um, the birds will almost always finish right into them. Okay, so that's what you really need to watch for on the shadows is having the shadow not cast in between you Out and the front. birds. Out front. Okay. Correct. Correct. That is uh, – exactly. I'm glad you brought that up. The one thing that I really do like about the A-frames is there's a lot more community to be had in it. You get to talk. You get to hang out. Um, and there's more <laughs> – there's more space for doing there's 
communal stuff. No, you're exactly right. Um, you know, my dad, for instance, he's 59 years old. Um, he's farmed all his life. Doesn't have doesn't have the best back. Um, and when I first started having the A-frames, you know, I'd call him and say, "Hey, Dad, we're going to go hunt in the morning. You want to tag along?" And he, the first question um, out of his mouth was, "Well, are you going to be in A-frames or layout blinds?" And and what he really was getting at was, if we're in the A-frames, he's going. If we're in the ground blinds, he's not going. Um, and it's just comfort. I mean, you can you can the A-frames. You can have a heater in there if it's if it's too cold. Um, and everybody's, you know, your shoulders, you know, you're, you know, we, a lot of times we'll run three to four people per blind and you're, you're just in there, you're cutting up, um, giving everybody a hard time and the com- camaraderie definitely seems a little better than, uh, when you're in that little group, um, more so than other situations that maybe you're in. But, uh, I, as far as comfort level they they can't be beat as far as a portable ground or a portable blind. Um, you know, you have a nice chair to sit on, I, I guess. Not everybody does. Some people just have, have a bucket to sit on. But um, we use a lot of the little tri stools um, mm-hmm. that maybe you'd use in a ground blind for bow hunting. But uh, those are really comfortable. They don't take up a lot of space. They give you back support. Um, just it, it, I, I think a, a frames are just hands down better than anything on the market right now. And the one thing that you just said there about the heaters, um, especially – if you if you've got a poor man a frame like me where it's it's just uh, plastic you know fencing with grass zip tied to it I can't run a heater in there or you know we won't have a pro- we won't even have a blind <laughs> because yeah. of uh, all the all the it just go up and smoke but I think that is that is one thing that uh, we're we're saving up for uh, an a frame right now just so that we can try to get the girls out a little bit more and uh, um, you know I got to I got a four month old right now and, you know, I want to be able to uh, take her out when she's a little younger. <laughs> and Oh yeah, exactly. And that's, um, you know, just like that. So a, a good friend of mine, Jason Vitt has a little brother. We took him out hunting last year. It was a nasty day. Um, the high was about 25. The wind was blowing about 25 to 30. Um, we were actually hunting kind of a, a larger pond that was about 20 acres in size. Um, but the birds would work all the way, you know, they'd work all the way across it to try and get out of the wind to come up to us. But uh, his brother's seven years old, and he's comfortable in the A-frame. We had a heater going, and he shot a limit of ducks, um, and, and just as happy as could be, and, and very comfortable in what typically would be really nasty conditions. Who was the who was the little kid that you guys had on there? It was a river hunt, uh, an icy river hunt, and uh, shot a ringneck, I think, and and y'all were cutting it up about, uh, you know, oh, hey, making bets on how quick he could clean that ring neck or whatnot. Yeah, we uh, – so the, one of the, the ice, really nasty icy river hunts I recall is uh, we had young, you know, Fred's son Gunner. Um, was. Who, who's not uh, near as little as he used to be. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I remember him. He was, you know, 12 years old and, and just an ornery little fart and, and not very big and – and I go and see him, and now he's six three and and huge, and I, I can't pick on him anymore. Uh, isn't it funny how they do? I got little cousins that you know did that with, or or you know little neighbor kids that it's like, oh, I might want to think twice about giving you a noogie or something. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. And he's he's definitely one of them. <laughs> but yeah, definitely one of them. Well, what? 
what's your favorite episode? If if you had to pitch, say, hey, you know, I, I'm only going to watch one episode of your guys's. What one should I watch? Um, <clears throat> there's going to be a couple really really good uh, Oklahoma hunts coming up. Uh, we had a phenomenal stretch down there uh, of limits. Um, uh, you know, we, we hunted with some clients, um, that got, you know, that helped kind of get some extra birds killed on camera. Um, but look for those, those hunts are great. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't get a hunt, uh, when Fred was hunting back at home, but, uh, you know, so those hunts turned out great. And, and if you kind of listen to the narrative of the hunt, uh, he talks about, there's no place like home to hunt. Um, and, and I definitely get that feeling and, and this is kind of, I guess land restrictions get, you know, it's harder and harder to get on ground. You have to lease or own. And, and, uh, that, that's what I'm trying to do, I guess, by developing my own little properties. I, I don't have any property that I can develop and have a 50 acre flooded cornfield, but I can do small three to five acre areas that, uh, or maybe, you know, four or five, six, even 10 miles away from a traditional hunting area, but the, they should really produce. And, uh, I want to be able to come back home um, and, and have good hunting as much as possible and not have to worry about leasing land and, and doing those things. But with that said, I, I think some of the best hunts are going to be uh, the episodes out of Oklahoma. Okay. Right. What you just said actually leads me into something that I believe in a lot. You know, as you grow as a hunter and a conservationist, um, kind of your – at least for me, kind of your duty to alleviate the pressure off that public land because um, if you're the guy that's getting real serious about it, you know, go take back some of that that private land. Um, you know, turn some of that into good, uh, you know, conservation, good ha- habitat, and um, alleviate the pressure off the public land. Yeah, I um, I've got two friends, uh, Jamie Johnson and Brian Natalini, that. Uh, that have kind of showed me how they took small properties. Um, you know, Jamie's is, is just a little over four acres. Brian's is just right at five acres. And, and they're killing a lot of ducks um, on these properties. And they are not what I would call traditional duck areas. But they, um, I mean, they've just, they've done a really good job of managing their wetlands. You know, both of theirs have flooded corn. Um, and, but I, I do believe as a conservationist, it's, you know, you, you, there's phases you go through, um, and, and you go from hunting public, you know, learning how to duck hunt to, you know, then you start scouting off, you know, on the private ground, uh, which is becoming harder and harder as duck hunting gets, you know, a little more popular. Um, and then if, if the opportunity arises for somebody to own private land and then to develop that to where they have a place to go and where maybe where they can take their family and, and get to, I mean, there's a lot of fond memories I have of, of hunting with my dad, um, you know, in a flooded river bottom area and um, over some of our farm ponds. And, and what I hope to do by developing a couple of these spots um, now is, is to be able to um, make it easy access for as, as he gets older and, um, and, you know, as I hopefully have kids one day can take them out there and it, it's, it'll be a little easier hunting. Um, and it should be really good hunting, but if all, if all goes as planned, not that it always does, but it, um, 
I guess as you evolve as a hunter, so does your mindset of, of what you're wanting to do and what you're looking to get out of it. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of money to be made with all these little cattle ponds and farm ponds. You know, if you've got permission to hunt on these things in the off season, go talk to the farmer or the rancher and, and the landowner and see if see if you can get in there and um, hey, would you mind if I you know fenced off a, a portion of this over here? The cows still have access to the water, but kind of keeps them off the bank um, along this edge so we can get some natural vegetation grown up on you know at least a half of it or, or something like that. You know the the actual the NRCS, um, which is a farm for the most mm-hmm. part, a farm organization. Yep. They um, they have some really interesting programs where they will actually pay to uh, fence off different farm ponds, and and you put in uh, waters that you know they have, they run pipes underneath the dam, but uh, it's they have like I said they have some really neat programs to do that. But um, farmers are definitely uh, they need all the help they can get, and yeah. if a guy. Um, you know, I, I remember growing up, my dad would let some people hunt, but as, as I got older and, and hunted more and more and more, you know, we stopped letting so many people hunt cause I was hunting all the time, but, uh, there's a lot of hunter, there's a lot of families that don't have hunters in their family and, um, and they'll let people hunt, but it's always nice to have, I know the guys that, that kind of gave back to my dad, whether it was, um, there's one guy in particular, his name was Troy Russell. I, I still remember, um, he always he would he would smoke a ham at Thanksgiving and Christmas and bring it to my dad and just kind of a, as a thank you say hey you know thanks for letting me hunt I really appreciate it and it was those little small small tokens and of gesture that you know that let him keep coming back for so long um, but there's huge oh yeah and that's where I think a lot of people could probably access more land if they would offer to do that for farmers yeah um, I, I mean I go check fences um, you know anytime I you know, just this last weekend, found two dead cows, um, you know, called the rancher up and, uh, yeah, it, right then and there it was, you know, he's like, man, you know, I, I don't, I don't generally let people hunt on this thing or have good experiences with uh, the people that do hunt on it. But he's like, I, I greatly appreciate that. And, uh, you know, conservation minded people, um, if you're that guy, you can make a lot of uh, long time, you know, <laughs> hunting permissions, if not, you know, you know and, and the thing about farmers that, um, they don't forget, um, you know, they don't forget the nice things that you've ever done for them. So whether it was five or 10 years ago, whether, you know, whether it was you stopped and helped change a tire for, for their, you know, elderly mother or something, they, um, they never forget those things. And they'll always, they, they remember you when you come back and ask for permission and, you know, if you just stop by in the summer and say, "Hey, I'll I'll give you one free weekend of work if you let me," you know, duck hunt on your on your ponds and oh, yeah. and you know they're probably going to look at you like, "Who is this crazy guy who went to work for free just so he can duck hunt on my pond?" <laughs> but you show up and, and you work, uh, give them a good honest weekend of work. Um, you're going to have that place to hunt for for years to come. Um, so that's as I guess as things get harder and harder to get permission. Um, those are things you can do to, to ease that, you know, I guess you can kind of take down those barriers of farmers, not letting people hunt and, and getting you access to that land. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, Devin, you want to, you want to pitch him the, the final question? Yeah. So if you couldn't go on another hunt, but one more, um, 
what would it be, where would it be, who with, and uh, how would it all go down? You know, I would, uh, <clears throat> I've got uh, a handful of really good local buddies that I hunt with, and my dad. Um, we have a place we call the Old Lake. Um, it's not actually been on any TV shows. For some reason, it's never worked out when Fred's here, but it's uh, what I believe to be the prettiest place to duck hunt uh, I've ever been. And when it's right, um, it's a flooded timber spot. Um, it's in our river bottom. Uh, that if I had to take, if you told me I could have one lat, uh, my last duck hunt would be a great duck hunt in there. I would go spend the day in there, and, and I would be really satisfied. Um, you know, hunting with friends and family is what it's all about, anyways. But um, that's that's what I would do. Awesome. Now. I'm sure you guys get a ton of requests uh, or, hey, I got this really awesome place. And, and you have your connections already. But <laughs> I get, I bet you – I'm just guessing. You get a, a lot of people offering, hey, come out and hunt you know, this place or anything like that. And my, my follow-up question to that would be is, have you guys ever bit on any of those? You know, so that's um, sort of how uh, I met Fred is – um, is, is something similar to that. We had developed a relationship. We hadn't hunted, uh, together. And he, just from, from being friends for so long, he, he, uh, you know, he called me on a whim and I, and I was one of those guys that, that offered to, you know, Hey, we have great duck hunting out here. You need to come. Um, but it's, uh, it's definitely tough. Um, you, you, it's it's not tough. I mean, the, the invites are awesome. It, it is. It's really. It, it's great to be invited to go to so many places. Um, however, they don't always turn out um, as advertised. Um, that sure. can be. That can bang, dang sure be a little tough. Um, but it's as time goes on, get a little older. You uh, you're a little better at picking out exactly where you want to go. Um, but it's. Uh, that can be that can be interesting to go to those new places, and you're always kind of cautiously optimistic of what's going to happen. Um, but over time, you know, you you do develop a relationship with these people, whether you see them at shows and, and calling contests, or um, maybe they hunt kind of maybe maybe they hunt close to the area you do, but you know they're just maybe they hunt east of town and you hunt west of town or something and. Um, you know, a lot of times at, you know, at some point you do meet up with them and you do go hunting and you find out, man, I've really been screwing up. This guy's been inviting me for 10 years to come out here and duck out. And this is the first time I, I'm really missing the boat here. So, but there, uh, that, that, that has definitely happened, um, where you, maybe you make the wrong call and you go somewhere that you probably shouldn't have went to. It's not uh, as advertised, but, uh, it, it's really humbling to, to have all the invites to go out and hunt and, and meet all the new people. Sure, sure. Um, and then when you're on the road, how frequently do you have you know people stopping you at the gas station, or uh, do you ever have to deal with anybody following you to fields or anything like that? You know, we've uh, we've never had much of a problem people following us to fields. Uh, lots of time driving down the interstate, people drive by, honk on their horn, waving. Uh, or at the gas station, people just genuinely, you know, duck hunters, you know, we can definitely be a little competitive and, and maybe, um, you know, when that other group down the road is, is killing them and we're not, you know, we're, we're a little pissed off cause you know, maybe we had a bad day, but for the most part, duck hunters are great people. They're, they're really great people and they genuinely want to see everybody succeed. Um, 
and, and that's you know you're at the gas station people they, they want to know how your day went if you're killing birds and, and how it's going um so it, it's it's all been good awesome awesome well, uh, do you have any uh, any plugs or any final takeaways you want to give to the uh, to the listeners before we head on out of here? I, I don't. I, uh, I appreciate you guys having me on, and, and hopefully I shared something that uh, somebody can learn from or find finds a little interesting about filming TV shows and kind of what goes into it. And it uh, hopefully I helped out somewhat. Thank you for having me on, and and uh, I wish you guys the best in your season. Absolutely. You as well. So safe hunting. Uh, thank you. All right, wanted to give a huge shout-out to our sponsors for bringing you today's show. Uh, first and foremost, we've got Hunt Hickory Creek. If you are looking to not just get on to some birds in central or southeast Kansas, but also looking for the guides that are going to go the extra mile to make sure um, that your group of two or your group of 12, whoever it is, um, is going to have fun and they're going to go out there. They're going to scout hard for you. They're going to work hard for you. And Chase and Cody are both in the listener group. And if you want to get a feel for who they are, head in on there, and uh, you can you can really see what you're getting with them. Uh, they're also they've gone way out of their way, and they're opening up the uh, um, the lodge for the foul front guys. Uh, I think we got two slots left in there, but uh, hopefully next year we'll make it a little bit uh, a bigger of a thing. We can get it couple more people in there since uh, it was such a a huge hit. But we also want to go ahead and thank um, Dive Bomb Decoys. They did something pretty special for us last week, and they got a lot of our our budget guys into decent-sized spreads. Um, Went out of their way, gave the listeners of the Foul Front 25% discount for 24 hours, and uh, it was really something. And it really says a lot about uh, who they are as a company and how they came up and just what they're willing to do for um, not only the guys that have tons of money to, to throw around, but the guys that are just trying to get a, a spread built. So we really appreciate everything that uh, Asher and Cody, Cody's going to be coming on, uh, the president uh, of the company is going to be coming on uh, here in a week or two, and he's going to be giving us their, their, their lineup, some stuff that they got coming out, and we'll get to know them a little bit better. So once again, thank you to those guys. Uh, We also want to thank Colorado Custom Game Calls. Man, we are just pumped to be affiliated with these guys. Uh, The amount of attention to detail and personal customization you can get in every single one of these things is its own piece of art. And not to mention... The guts in these things sound real good, real good. Um, and then you head on over there, Austin. He's also in the group, and he'll tell you you can get a foul front band. We're going to have a foul front uh, call coming out here shortly, um, but you can get the foul front band on your next custom um, game call, and that's duck, goose. They actually have a ton of predator calls, I think, and um, a couple other things out there. So. Real good guys, great calls, super, super cool looking stuff, um, and brings the birds in. So they got the videos to prove it. We also want to thank FreelanceHuntStats.com. Uh, that is something that I'm super excited to 
be able to track and log all of my hunts this year. Uh, and thanks to Elliot over at Freelance Duck Hunting for starting this freelance uh, huntstats.com. Head on over there. Uh, he's got really good prices right now for um, the memberships. It's, uh, you know, trade one cup of Starbucks a month and you can have all of your hunting statistics at your fingertips. And uh, it, it's it's a sweet app. And he's got a lot of stuff coming out. And I'm super, <laughs> I'm pumped, uh, to be honest with you, to go in there and check out all my variables. And, and uh, yeah, just to see... Maybe I can, you know, gain some insights on um, being a better hunter. We'd also like to thank um, Toe Tags LLC. Toe Tags LLC exists to help keep us legal. There's a lot of things people don't know, but um, you have to tag your migratory, migratory game birds, and uh, there's a lot of stuff that goes into that. And you know, not everybody has it readily accessible to. Just write down, uh, you know, in a piece of Ziploc or a zip tie. And and for just a few cents a day, you can keep yourself completely legal within the bounds of the law. And, you know, better safe than sorry. And honestly, you do not want to be sorry when it comes to this. Um, we've got Ryan from Toe Tags LLC, the owner over there. He's going to be coming on and telling us his story um, in, in the next couple weeks too. And they make it super easy because all you have to do is just fill out your some of your information on that tag and attach it to either the game strap or the individual bird itself. It's it's pretty awesome. So, uh, and last but not least, we've got DocsOutdoorSupplies.com. Um, they've also got a ten percent discount code for you, and that's FowlFront18, um, all undercase. And the thing about DocsOutdoorSupplies.com that that I I like, and besides it being my dad's. Uh, online outdoor store is that he gives you the all in price of what you're looking at. So when you see, um, whatever that price is, that's shipping, that's everything where if you go over to some of these other, um, online stores, you know, they're going to show you the, the lowest price and then they're gonna add that shipping. They're going to add the taxes. Um, and he does eat some of the shipping, uh, sometimes. So, um, it's, I, I just think it's pretty cool. And then especially with that 10% uh, discount code. And he's got a bunch of motion decoy systems on there and a bunch of other stuff that is, it's just, it's a really neat site. So, all right, guys, please go out and support all those companies because they're the ones that keep um, this show afloat and uh, keep this from, um, you know, taking uh, out of my, my daughter's college funds um, that I'm trying to contribute to and really allows me to be able to sit down here and talk to you guys for, um, a couple hours a, a, a week and all the editing that goes into it. So please, um, if, if you know, you think you can save a couple bucks somewhere else, um, go check these guys out. Uh, these are people that have a vested interest in the, sh- in the show and in your listenership. So, all right. Uh, now that I've exhausted myself, hopefully next week you guys will hear me and I'll have a completely fresh voice and uh, we'll be, um, 100% healthy. So thanks for bearing with me for the last couple of weeks. Um, I know it's been rough on you, been rough on me, but all right, guys uh, and gals, see you shortly. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Foul Front Waterfowl Podcast. Please come join us on our Facebook group, the Foul Front Waterfowl Podcast group, where you can connect with a good group of hunters because we're all in this together. We need to act like it so that hopefully our great, great grandkids 
We'll be hunting ducks over our favorite public lands. Uh, we also ask that you go ahead and give us a written review on iTunes and give us five stars if you think we deserve it. And we really do want to hear back from you uh, so that we can give you the best possible content. And if you get in on that Facebook group, you can get in there and you can ask questions and you can tell us what you want to hear next or you can tell us uh, what you don't like. And we'll be sure to tailor things to our listeners. So, all right. Stay safe out there, and we will see you next week. And another thing, too, and maybe, maybe... What's the what's the nobody's home strategy? I, I remember him talking about it and I didn't quite understand it. Where they you left some blinds out on the other side or something and then it, is it do you do you recall that? I think it was Um I I don't. Okay. Never mind. I don't. We'll, well I guess we'll cut that part out. <laughs> yeah. I <laughs> Sorry uh, about I, that. No, that's all right. That's all right, that's fine. Um Hey, you ever been sitting in front of your TV just wondering why you can't catch the latest episode of The Foul Front right there in your living room so you can impress all your guests and family with your fine taste in podcast listening? Me neither. But hey, as a part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective, you can now find The Foul Front and some other great podcasts on your Apple TV, your Roku, your Amazon Fire Stick, Smart TV, even your gaming console just by downloading the Waypoint app. And heck, while you're there, they got over 2,500 hunting and fishing shows on demand. Go download the Waypoint app today. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. When you go out there and the fish are where you think they are, any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.